to the book of Jonah. Now you might say, where is that wee book of Jonah? Well, you'll go to Ezekiel, to Daniel, and then you'll go to Hosea, then you'll go to Joel, then you'll go to Amos. And then when you go to Amos, you go to Obadiah, and when you go to Obadiah, then you'll go to Jonah. Jonah. Now, we're not going to read a lot of this to start. I just want to point a few things out. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the, their wickedness is come up before me. Notice, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the further off and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Notice, from the presence of the Lord. Now, how can you go from the presence of the Lord? David had written in the Psalms of I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost part of the earth. There, he says, you'll find me. So how do you go, or what does this mean, to go from the presence of the Lord? Well, if you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea, this, it's like a, a, an oval sort of a shape, and around North Africa, up around, and by Greece or the other side, Spain and Italy and Greece and so on, um, right around in, into the land of Israel, the whole way around there to Morocco where Gibraltar meets at the bottom of Spain and Gibraltar meets uh, together. And I think it's eight miles, I think now it's eight miles across. Well, you see, those, those two points were known, as we know the Rock of Gibraltar, were then known as the Pillars of Hercules. That's what their name was. In fact, Alice and I... Yeah, um, I like to go and search these things out. So one time we went to Spain and I hired a car and we drove the length of the bottom of it just to go to make sure that this was the Pillars of Hercules. And we go to Spain, Zaragoza, the town, the city is around there. Um, been there with the, the outlaws, I mean the in-laws, and um, brought them around one time as well, around Zaragoza. And it's believed that Zaragoza comes from the name of Zara. Judah, who was one of the sons of Judah. Remember um, Zara and Phares, the sons, the twins, and the hand comes out and the maid puts a scarlet thread around the hand. It retracts and then the other son is born. We see it was Phares that was born, but it was Zara, pardon me, Zara was, was born, but Phares, let me get this right, Phares' hand came out and went in. And it was Sarah, Zara, who was born. So what happens is, Zara moves to southern Spain. Paul writes in his letter that he wanted to go to Spain. And even right through into the times of the rise of Islam in the 662 and onwards, more into the, another lot of years, very quickly that already became, in Spain, in Spain became uh, Islamic. Spain used to be Islamic then, you see. And there was uh, what was known as a, a large Jewish settlement around there, believed to be from Judah. That's where you get that name from. And they were known from Zara Judah. And so we have um, Zara 
uh, Zaragoza, there's a town there, there's a land mass there. Then you go on down, you have Gibraltar. Now, Gibraltar, if you were ever at it, it's a strange place because you go through a border check, and we're hearing about it at the minute. You go through a border check, and it's like you go in there, and there's a red telephone box, like are in England, and the policemen have the English sort of hats on and their uniforms, and you have your Marks and Spencers and all this sort of stuff. And, and it's, it's warm, it's Spain-like, but it's really little England there. But when you go up into the Rock of Gibraltar, the Rock of Gibraltar is like a honeycomb. And when you go way up, there's a place, and it's called, uh, they call it the Gates of Hell. They have a big plaque that mentions it, and it's called St. Michael's Cave, I think it is. And you're way up high, and as you look down, it's just darkness, and it goes a whole depth from near the top of that, inside that big rock, and it's just darkness the whole way down. There's a big plaque there, and they call it the they call it the gates of hell, and they said uh, uh, early Greek scholars also knew this as the pillars of Hercules. You can go and read it yourself on a big plaque. In fact, we went to get photographs of it and so on. Unfortunately, they didn't turn out too well. But anyhow, and you see, it makes me think. You know, people talk about the gates of hell. And I know up north in. Um, Away, away up north in, in the land of Israel, there's a place there they call the gates of hell. But it makes me wonder when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm wondering, was he thinking more of the Gibraltar gates of hell? Because outside of that, around the Mediterranean area, people had it in their mind that they were away or they were fleeing or they were outside the jurisdiction of God. So when Jonah rose up to flee, get in, goes to Joppa, gets on the ship, the idea is you go out, pillars of Hercules, past what is known as the gates of hell, and he'd be around, of course, in the Atlantic, around Spain, and they used to have shipping routes right up into the tin mines in Cornwall, and used to uh, mine copper and, and put the two them together, make their brass and their bronze and so on. So I, I, when, when, we, when we see that Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord, it is quite possible that the idea of it means that he wanted to get outside the pillars of Hercules. Or he wanted to go on beyond the gates of hell. And think Jesus when he says, uh, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. You think of the, the apostles going out that way uh, with the gospel uh, uh, through those gates, past those pillars of Hercules. It's, it's tremendous when you think of it. But notice this, when Jonah rose up, you and I look at the story of Jonah and it's like, well, there's the book of Jonah. Uh, you can read through Jonah very quickly, four short chapters, and basically it's finished. But do you know Jonah is mentioned elsewhere in the scripture? And he's mentioned as a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Do you remember I told you the, 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 the key to, the, uh, to prophecy and the parables, remember? You remember what it was, don't you? It was the two kingdoms. Isn't that right? The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, who are also part of Israel. Isn't that right? The two kingdoms. And they had two kings and they had two uh, capital cities, Samaria in the north, where Ahab was and so on. Well, you see, the northern kingdom's kings started with Jeroboam. We read about that in First Kings 12, remember? When he broke away from um, uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and he took... Remember the ten tribes went with him, and he took that away with him? 
So when he took that, that was Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, throughout the Bible history there, historically in the word of God, there are 19 kings in the house of Israel mentioned. 19. And every single one of them were wicked. Every one of them. And so we look at the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah comes along the time when Jeroboam the second. Now, the first king was called Jeroboam, but Jeroboam the second comes along, and he's king now in Samaria in the northern kingdom. And you see, Jeroboam the second is the 13th king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He's the 13th king. Now, all the while we have, you know, with David and Solomon and, and, and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and all of those. And so in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah, right through to the very uh, last king, uh, like of uh, Zedekiah, uh, there were, my memory serves me right, there were 20 kings in Judah ruling from Jerusalem. That was the true king line. Remember, Jesus would come from that line, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there were 20 kings would come out of there, and eight of them were good. The rest were all a bit rubbish. They were pretty evil. But there were eight good kings, and that's what spared Judah throughout the years longer after the carrying away of the northern kingdom. Now, notice this. Jonah is placed when the 13th king, Jeroboam II, is on. And you and I look at the story of Jonah and we think of what? First thing you mention Jonah is you think of what? What's that? The whale, don't you? That's it. And that's true. The big fish. It says it here in verse 17. Look at it. And the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And people say, do you really believe that a big fish swallowed Jonah? And I said, yes, I do. I would do, yes. And in fact, if the word of God told me that Jonah swallowed a great fish, I'd believe that too. Because it's the word of God. But notice here, this isn't the eye. This is part of the story. And the Lord Jesus makes mention of this about his death, burial, and resurrection. As Jonah was in the, the, whale's, the belly of the whale, so uh, will the Son of Man, speaking of himself, be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So this is a literal true story. So I believe it because Jesus believed it. And he said it. But that's still not the thrust of the book of Jonah. That's still not the thrust. Uh, well, then people say, you know, um, we, uh, we think of the storm and we think of all that happened unto Jonah. And when you read chapter 3, verse 1, they say, it means God's the God of a second chance. There's the next story about Jonah. Notice, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Well, there's another lesson, and absolutely it is. We're not, I, 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 please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it isn't. It absolutely is. It is another story. It is another blessing for us uh, that not only is God in charge of everything, uh, but now we're seeing that God gives second chances. In fact, God is the God of the million chance. And God gives second chances. That's still not the thrust of the story. That's still not the thrust of the book of Jonah. Ah, it shows God as a God of preparation. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Chapter 4 then, 
verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Verse 7, But God prepared a worm. So he prepared a great fish. He prepared a gourd or a plant. Now he's prepared a worm. And when the morning rose the next day and smote the gourd that it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. So now he's prepared a vehement east wind. So it shows us God is the God of preparation. Yes, he is. But that's still not the thrust of the story or the book of Jonah. It's all things we can take from it and so much more. There's all these applications of it. But that's not the story behind the book of Jonah. Ah, well then, it's the moral of the story is this, uh, that when we read that Jonah didn't want the priest in Nineveh, he runs away, and the Lord gives him a second chance, and so then he still, he goes and preaches, and the Ninevites, they turn from their wicked ways, and Jonah's raging and angry, and the idea of it is that God prepares a gourd, and he's glad to sit under it, but he's still hating those whom God wanted to be released from his wrath. And then in verse 7, he prepares a worm to eat that gourd to show Jonah a lesson. And then in verse 8, he prepares a vehement east wind and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished for himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said unto Jonah, dost thou well to be angry for the good and he said i do well to be angry even unto death jonah is saying you know what i have a right to be angry here because you're blessing somebody i hate the ninevites we're getting closer to the story here but that's not the the idea is people think well god is showing him a lesson not to be selfish jonah's being selfish by the way that's what he is being that's done not the thrust of the book of jonah Verse 10, then the Lord, then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast labored, hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. Notice, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. He says, Jonah, you're glad of the gourd. And you think you're deserving of it. And you think you're worthy of it. He says, yet, he says, you look at this great city. None of it was said was 60 miles across. That's how big it was. He said it was 60 miles. Apparently it took three days to walk across it. And the Lord says, you think of all those souls in there just because you don't want them saved. So we're going to get closer now to why the thrust, the story behind Jonah. Let me tell you what it is in a nutshell. Jonah lived in the northern kingdom. Jonah seen blessing. He prophesied to the northern kingdom. And I'm going to show you. Second Kings, please, chapter 14. Second Kings chapter 14. And there's a little mention of him in this chapter. Let your eye run down. Verse 21. And all the people of Judah 
took Azariah, which was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. And he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, he slept with his fathers. And in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. You see the king there, Jeroboam. So he is now the 13th king. Notice Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel is the northern kingdom. That's your key. Remember this. This helps you so much to understand the scripture and what prophets speaking to who and about what. And when you look at this, he's saying Jeroboam is Jeroboam the second here, by the way, the 13th king. Uh, let me just get it. Uh, son of Joash, king of Israel, began to rule in Samaria. There's the northern kingdom's capital. And reigned 41 years. Actually, I think off the top of my head, he was the longest reigning king in the northern kingdom. Notice, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Notice this, he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath onto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant, who? Jonah. You see that? Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Agath Hefer. Now, whenever you're reading that, so Jonah was prophesying the word of the Lord, and because they were following the word of the Lord, God was bringing it to pass for his glory. Now, I'm sure you'll wonder sometimes, there have been preachers who have preached to masses of masses of people, And God is saving, God is healing, God is blessing and doing all manner of things. And yet they're found out that they've been living a lie or they've been living wrong lives. And you wonder, how how does that happen? Do you know why it happens and why it happens? Because, you see, God in his grace and his mercy, not only for the preacher to give them time to get right, God in his grace and his mercy for the people, his word is is what counts, not the preacher. Now, eventually he'll catch up with the preacher and he'll put him away. That's what happens here with the kings of Israel. That's what happens here. The kings of Israel are living wickedly. But the word of the Lord goes out and God keeps his word. Listen, God keeps his word in spite of you, not because of you too. God perfects his word and performs his word in spite of us, not because of us. So what does it show in the book of Jonah? It shows that God is sovereign over creation. And God is sovereign in election. That's what it shows. And even though Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, God had prepared a great fish. Now you think that fish is swimming about the sea for years growing up. God prepared that before Jonah had it in his heart to run. Now, we talk about the permissive will of God. I understand what that means, where Jonah, in the will of God, would have went directly to Nineveh the first time. Jonah, in the will of God, would have went and preached to Nineveh the first time. That's in the will of God. The permissive will was Jonah ran. God's will remained the same for Nineveh. But in his grace and mercy, he had prepared a face to say, I'm going to show my glory I'm going to show my sovereignty. My will will be done. And it swallows up Jonah to bring him back. In fact, he sent the storm first. 
really the permissive will of God is not the will of God. You're out of the will of God. But you're in the permissive will in the sense you're under his mercy. Undeserving. But God will be glorified. It's the same with his word. Same with his word. You know, you could go to hear, hope it's not me like, but you can go to hear a preacher and you hate the sight of them. I know there's some that actually have done that actually with me, but you hit the side of them. But it's not about the preacher, it's about the word. It's not about the man, it's about the message. So God's word does not return unto him void, shows his sovereign will. The thrust behind the story of Jonah is this. The Assyrians in Nineveh would eventually conquer the northern kingdom. The Assyrians in Nineveh were sinful and wicked, but they were in the plan of God. God was going to use them to chastise his people. Jonah couldn't see that. But the Lord says, no, I want you to go tell them to repent because their cup was filled. When they repented, God stead off his wrath from them because he would use them to go to the house of Israel to take them away captive. So when you read 2 Kings 14, you're reading, Jonah's prophesying to them, and now he's going, hold on, we're gaining back ground that we have lost to the southern kingdom of Judah and the other kings, and we're gaining our ground again. And Lord, you want me to go and preach to the Assyrians who are going to come and slay our people in the future and take them away captive? I'm not, I'm not doing that. But you see, man can only see as far as his nose sometimes, but God sees the bigger picture. That's what we need to learn from that. That no matter where we are, God knows the bigger picture. It's like one old Puritan said, God is the cause of causes. He is the cause of causes. There's nothing goes under his notice. So when we go to Jonah, you know, read here that God not only prepares all of these things, but he's actually sparing the heathen. And that heathen then are used. Now, when we look at the prophets um, of the two kingdoms, Israel, the kingdom of Israel and Samaria and Judah, trying to draw you as a pretend map here. And Israel, if you remember, think of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, they give you an, a, a mantle, Dublin in the south and and Belfast in the north. That's what it was like, only two kingdoms, Jerusalem in the south and Samaria in the north. There were two lines of kings came out. And up above north again were the Assyrians who would come right down, take away all that kingdom. And then later on in years they'd come right down and the Babylonians would overtake them and they would come over in a wave and take away all of the second or the lower southern kingdom. Now, they're different prophets to different kingdoms. Let me show you. If you would just let your eye, or you flick back, so you've got the book of Jonah, you have a wee book of Obadiah, and then you've got the book of Amos. Go to the book of Amos, please. Now, here's something to pick up on. So Jonah is roughly a... And it's only a few years, maybe 10 years, maybe not even 10 years, uh, around just before his ministry is maybe coming up to a climax. 
and Amos the prophet. Amos the prophet is sent by the Lord. Amos is in the southern kingdom. Amos lives in the southern kingdom. Amos is a herdsman in the southern kingdom. And God tells him to go north. God tells him, I want you to go and prophesy. And listen, not to bring a good new report, I want you to go and tell them, I'm going to judge them. Now, can you imagine that? They were, they, they, they were actually at war with each other at times. And now this man's told to go up north and, and start to prophesy against um, the house of Israel, the brethren. Notice chapter 1, verse 1, we'll skip over. The words of Amos, who was among the herd men. Notice where he was, of Tekoa which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So you see the two kingdoms here, Judah and Israel. Two kings, two kingdoms. So now he's in the southern kingdom, he's in Dekoa, and Jeroboam II is still on the throne. And two years before the earthquake, there's a big recorded earthquake around this time. It's an amazing way the Holy Spirit marks things. It's like, your, it's like your salvation's marked, isn't it? It's like you remember when Christ came into your life. Notice, and he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. What does he mean? From the southern kingdom. And the inhabitants of the shepherds shall mourn, the top of Carmel shall weather. Now notice he starts with, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have... Uh, thresh Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Now, we're not going to go through all of these, but if you read right the whole way through, for example, verse 6, transgressions of Gaza. I will send fire in verse 7, the wall of Gaza. Verse 9, the transgressions of Tarus and for 4. It always says for 3 and for 4. And uh, Tarus was an island fortress just off um, the coast there. And then when you go on down to verse 11, for three transgressions of Edom and for four. And then when you go on down to verse 13, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon and for four. What does he mean for three and for four? Now remember, this is the whole time where Jonah's now just went and prophesied and preached and these things have turned to the Lord and the wrath of God stopped and the enemies are growing. And what God's saying, he raises up Amos from the southern kingdom to come up north and he says I still see your sin three transgressions and for four doesn't mean you've failed three times and if you do it a fourth you're, you're finished the idea here is it is perpetual sinning before me that's what it means you're always perpetually habitually sinning before me he says to all of those people notice chapter 2 for the transgressions of Moab and for four and then you go to verse 4. For three transgressions of Judah. And for four, I will not turn away your punishment. Now he's turning to Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Verse 6, for three transgressions of Israel. And for four, God says, you're no different. I'm going to turn on you. And we'll all know this very well because we see it all over the place. Almost chapter 4 and verse 12. I'm just skipping over. You read through all that and God tells about all of the things that are going to happen. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Now we have it out in the wall there when you come in. Prepare to meet thy God. So what the Lord is saying is, 
you should know better. And so I'm going to come upon you heavy. And how does he do it? He releases the Assyrian. The ones who he had Jonah preach to. That's why Jonah ran. Because he says, I'm going to use these for chastisement. And there's a lesson to hear because when you read about this, the Assyrians then not only chastised by taking and carrying away the house of Israel, but they're then taken away. God discards them. So the lesson to be learned is this. Be careful how you deal with God's people. Throughout the scripture, everyone God uses as a chastening rod, he then puts away himself. He then puts away himself. So that's fine, grace and mercy. Notice what the Lord says in chapter 5. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen, she shall no more rise, for she is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred. And that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. What's God saying here? He's saying there's going to be a remnant, a tithe, a tenth, a tithe left behind to keep in the land. That is of the northern kingdom. So really it's decimated. They don't return as a kingdom again. Notice what verse 4 says. Thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, here's the remedy for all our sin. Seek ye me and ye shall live. God's saying to them at the very end of it. You know, we talk about deathbed conversions and the, the thief on the cross. The Lord said this just before he released the enemies. He's crying through the prophet, seek me and you'll live. Seek me and you'll live. But the heart of man was not to seek the Lord. But seek not Bethel. Now, this needs really looked at because you're going to see the fall here of this. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, I want you to see the fall of this great fall from God's place of blessing, as we would say the fall of grace. Okay, so verse 6, And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, Unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Notice Abraham builds an altar. Here is worship to the Lord. Verse 8, And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west. And Hai on the east, and there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. There he builds an altar in Bethel, house of God, Beth house El God, the house of God. So Abraham, you can always trace because Abraham always built an altar to the Lord everywhere he went. You could, you could trace Abraham anywhere in the country. You just go, at the time you'd follow the altars and you'd find Abraham. And so Abraham builds an altar in Bethel. So now go to uh, Genesis 28 as well. This is another well-known piece of portion of Scripture. And let's just read a, a few verses. 
Verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down that place to sleep. And he dreamed a dream, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Now, without turning to it, you mark John chapter 1, verse 51 there. Go read it when you go home. Speaks of Christ. Now notice, behold, the Lord stood above it. Where is the Lord? Above the ladder. Notice this, or on the stairway to heaven. He's at the top of it, in other words. And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land where on thy last. I will give it to thee and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and I shall spread abroad to the west. That's the first direction. Unto the east to the north, to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and I will bring thee again into this land, and I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So here we find Jacob is wrestling uh, at Bethel. This is Bethel. So notice Abraham builds an altar. Then years later, Jacob sees the Lord, uh, and he's at the top of the ladder. But when Christ comes, he comes down from heaven, is that right? And now he's on the earth. He becomes flesh. Dies for us. So we're, we're told that he sees uh, uh, the Lord uh, and, and then at Bethel, he, he, uh, it's at Bethel that, that, that he, he has this wonderful vision, the house of God. So go with me to First Kings chapter, tell you what, let's go to Judges chapter 20 first of all. We'll go in chronicle order. Judges chapter 20. Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord and the children of Israel required of the Lord for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. Now where are they? You'll read on and you'll find that this is Bethel. This is a borderland now. And so they've crossed over Jordan. They're now in the land. The enemies are round about. They... Israel become a, it's a man, becomes a family. A family becomes a people. The people become a nation because they get laws. It's Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19 and so on. They become laws and they have faith, the one religion, the one God. And then they become a kingdom because they start having kings. And that's the formation of it as you go along. And now we're finding here that they're saying the Ark of the Covenant. So Bethel, you ready? Bethel has Abraham's altar. It has Jacob's ladder. It has the Ark of the Covenant. It's seen so much glory. This place is no one is called House of God. Now, go to First Kings chapter 12. First Kings 12. Let me just find a place, because I haven't any notes. I'm just doing this from the top of my head. Hold on a wee second, I'll find. Okay. 
So here we have the separation of the kingdom. Verse 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now I see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the children of Israel which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David to this day. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called unto him the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. The Lord said, this is from him. Why? Because God sees the bigger picture. Remember he said earlier, God had a bigger picture. God was going to, in later years, send the gospel out looking for them. Here's the thing. See the tribe of Benjamin here? Benjamin's a small tribe. The last tribe. The last, from the last son of Jacob Israel. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. But the tribe here, as you read here, talks about I'll give a tribe for a light always before David or before Judah, his tribe. And Benjamin, for example, the Apostle Paul, he says he was from the tribe of Benjamin, do you remember? All of the, the, all of the disciples, possibly with the exemption of Matthew, who was uh, also called Levi, he might have been a Levitical uh, from the, the, the tribe of Levi, sitting at the, at the seat of custom. And, of course, Judas Iscariot. All of the disciples from the, were all from Galilee, who were mainly Benjaminites. So it's quite possible everyone but those two, including the Apostle Paul, were Benjaminites. And so Benjamin became known as the light-bearing tribe. Now here's the thing. When the northern kingdom goes, Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He sends forth the tribe of Benjamin. After the outpouring of the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who were the first apostles? They were from mainly the tribe of Benjamin. They were the light-bearing tribe, carrying the gospel, preaching the word of God, salvation in Christ alone. Away back here, do you see God says, this is from me? Why? Because all the other nations of the earth, I don't want to go into Saturday's message, but all the other nations of the earth would be blessed with this. Does it make sense to you? You see the bigger picture? So, all of this, verse, 20, verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel that made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in, where? Bethel. And the other, he put in Dan. 
And this thing became a sin for the people and went to worship before one, even unto Dan. In other words, from one end of the, the, the northern kingdom to the other, two golden calves. Remember what Aaron did when Moses was up the mountain? Made the golden calf, made the people to sin. Where did they get that from? Well, when they were in Egypt. What did uh, Jeroboam say? These be thy gods, O Israel. Isn't that right? This is Jeroboam, the first Jeroboam. These be thy gods, O Israel. Because thinking of Aaron and the golden calf. And where did they come from? The land of Egypt. And one of their gods was a bull calf. So they're thinking, well, that must be God. They didn't know him. They knew about him. They knew the ritual of him. But they didn't know him. And that's the problem with people think they know God. God wouldn't do that. And God doesn't allow people to go to a lake of fire. And God, I know what they do. They form an idol in their mind of who God is. You see the problem here? From Dan has went from an altar, the ladder to heaven, and the Lord above it, to the Ark of the Covenant, to the bull calf and sin before God. So, we're almost finished. You can actually read on the, and the, the next chapter when you go home. It's very interesting what happens there. But uh, So Amos is from the southern kingdom, and he's coming up in Amos chapter 5 and verse 5. But seek not Bethel. Now you know why he says that, don't you? Why does he say it? Because this is the end of the northern kingdom who had the two golden calves. And Bethel was one of them. So you say, well, but Bethel, is it not the place where it was a blessed place at one time? But it shows you how God's blessing, people can turn it into a mess. How they can fall from that grace. Nor enter into Gilgal. Now, for example, Gilgal is... Gilgal was a place, if you want to go to Hosea, this is the third prophet around this time, and we're going to close in a minute, okay? Go back, go back the way from your book of Amos. Go right back to the book of Hosea. Let me just get this myself, my reference. And we're going to go to Hosea chapter 9. So now, Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom as well, okay? And he's there when, uh, just after Jonah, and he's, prophet, he's preached to, to, the north, to the Syrians, and they've settled down and turned to God, and, uh, and now... Uh, Amos has come up and said, God's still going to bring judgment on you. And they've sat, and now that you're waiting on the judgment coming. And from the 13th king, Jeroboam II, to the very end, I, I, off the top of my head, I, it's about 40 years. But 40 is a number of trial and testing in the scripture. So God gave them space to repent. So when we go to, we go to Hosea chapter 9, he is now a prophet to the northern kingdom. I just want to get my reference here, make sure I get it just. Okay, let your eye run down. The verse 15. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them. What? 
for all their wickednesses in Gilgal, for there I hated them for the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. Imagine the Lord saying that. You in a different picture here now? God's hot enough. All their princes are revolters. Ephraim. Ephraim was a tribe. Ephraim was a man, a son of Joseph in Egypt. Um, Ephraim and Manasseh were the two sons. But then Ephraim is dead and gone. His, it's his seed now. They become a tribe, but they also become the, the full name of the ten tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel. One name becomes known as Ephraim. It's one of their names. It's known as Joseph. It's known as Ephraim. It's called Samaria sometimes because that's its capital. And it's called the house of Israel. So it's all these names you have to try and remember. That's how you know who God's speaking to. And here he's saying, Ephraim is smitten, their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit, yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay them, the beloved fruit of their womb. Now God is speaking to the house of Israel here, the northern kingdom. Notice verse 10. Israel is an empty vine. The vine was a symbol of Israel. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. Now, when you go home, you read John chapter 15 and verse 1. You see the grace that's in this. Jesus says, I am the true vine. What did he mean? He meant, I am the true Israelite, who they were never, or who they could never be. He became sin for us, but he kept the law perfect for us. Can you see it now in the scripture? That's why he says it. Jesus did. As I said before, when the Lord Jesus walks up the beach and says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, he just didn't think it off the top of his head. He took it from Jeremiah 16 and 16. The Lord says, I will send fishers to face them and hunters to hunt. So here he's saying again, Israel's an empty vine, then he comes, John 15, I am the true vine. So Hosea is a prophet again at around the same time to the northern kingdom of Israel. So now whenever you're reading, go back to Amos chapter 5. Now you'll understand what the Lord is saying. I'm going to wrap this up here. Seek ye me and ye shall live. Verse 5. But seek not Bethel. That's where the idolatry, it's all fallen. Nor enter into Gilgal. Well, that's a place where I've hated them. Don't go to the places where God hates. Don't go to places where he isn't worshipped. And pass not into Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and he shall live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph. That's another name. Remember I told you there? For the northern kingdom. And devour it. And there be none to quench it in Bethel. Verse 14. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, God of, so the, Lord the God of hosts shall be with you as, as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good. And then when you go right over to the very end, well, pardon me, not the end, towards the end in chapter 7. If you read chapter 7, Amaziah the priest comes and more or less, uh, the Jeroboam, the king of Israel, uh, before him, he's saying, you know what? Amos is too hard. 
You read that chapter 7. You know what he says? He says, Amos is too hard. His preaching is too hard for us. Now remember, he's from the south preaching in the north. The, the land can't cope with this man. The land can't cope with this man. He, he's, he's too straight down the pipe, as they say. You know, he just he tells it as it is, and he's given us the word of the Lord. And you know, and it's like you know, I know some of you is maybe you know think, thinking of Ronnie or even Gordy has spoken different ones and Aaron and Pastor Aaron and so on. And, and sometimes when you speak the straight down the line, people go, oh, "He's too hard. He's too hard." And 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 Ronnie will tell you. There's times that you don't, you aren't even invited back to churches because even the church doesn't want to hear you're too hard. You you just get, you you tell us it straight down the line. I know there's a lot of places wouldn't have me because of us telling as it is. I think they wouldn't have me for that anyway. That's what they done with them was. Read the chapter seven. The land can't cope with this. This man is just he's just on and on. See, yes, Ken Davis, the man, but preaching about Brexit and the way the nation should be and all this sort of stuff. We're, we're sick of listening to this guy. He's always talking about, you know, should be taking her stand and not being afraid and blah, blah, blah. But this, this man's too hard. So here's what Amos' reply was. Verse 14, we'll finish with this. Then Amos, then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, Neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herd man and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Do you know what he's saying? I was in the deserts of Judah, the wilderness of Judah, with the herd. Eating sycamore fruit really meant was the poor sort of man's fruit. They went and they just picked up the trees as they went as they followed the herd. She's like, who am I? I feel like that all the time. Lord, who am I to preach your word? I think of my life and my past. Who am I? Who am I? And things that God gives you to speak, you go, Lord, I don't really want to bring that because I know I'm going to get into trouble. He goes, it's not you. It's not the man, remember? It's not the man. It's the message. It's the word. He says, now you just go and do as you're told, son. And leave the rest up to me. And that's the same for all of our lives. Let's just do as we're told. And leave the rest up to the Lord. God bless that study to us tonight. And hope you've got something from it.